I wonder if you've ever been thirsty. Now, I don't mean like the sort of, I could really do with a Dr. Pepper, or the, I really fancy having a coffee right now. I mean, really thirsty. We see this story in the book of Exodus of a people who are thirsty. I remember one episode where I actually was thirsty and didn't even know it. January 2000, nearly 20 years ago, I was at this place called Benning School for the Wayward Boys, also known as Ranger School. And um, during the first week, or zero week, um, during Ranger assessment phase, you have a whole bunch of uh, physical tests that you're doing. And towards the end of the week, after all these grueling days and about four hours of sleep and extreme dehydration happening, we had this buddy run that we were doing with our full gear. And I remember doing it, and, and at the end of the run, I could see the finish line. I could see the frontline ambulance. I could see all the other ranger candidates that were in front of me that had already finished. Their gear was now neatly lined in little rows. And I crossed the finish line, and there at about five in the morning, they had the medics with their flashlight just checking you up to make sure that you're all right. And they said, you know, say your name, say your candidate number, Ranger Tepper, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And the guy looks at me and says, you need to go over there and drink two quarts of a canteen. So I pulled out a two-quart canteen, pulled out a, a, a packet of rehydrating salts, poured it in, and just glugged that thing down. And it was the sweetest water I'd ever tasted in my life. Funny thing is, I thought it was so sweet that about a week later, I thought I'd repeat that exercise. So I pulled out my two-quart canteen and poured in some rehydrating salts and drank it. It was the most salty and vile thing I'd ever tasted. But why was it sweet a week prior? Because I actually was thirsty and I didn't even know it. Here the people of Israel are thirsty and they don't even know it. In this passage we see three things. We see a complaint, we see a presence, and then we see a spring. Verses 1 through 3 talk to us about a complaint. It says that the people of Israel came to Moses and they quarreled with him. Almost every translation uses that word, but that word is used two other times in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That word is a technical term, which means that they brought a civil lawsuit. They had a contention, a dispute. If you want to think about it, they actually had a parched protest. You can look around and you'll see that there are protests happening around the U.S. where people are asking for justice. They're hungering and thirsting for justice. The people of Israel are thirsty for justice. So they come to Moses, parched, and they say, why have you brought us out into the desert to make us die of thirst? It's actually a, a suit. And if you don't if you don't think that that word is the only thing, look at the whole narrative. It says, one, they quarrel with him, they grumble, and then it says they come to Moses, and then Moses goes to God in verse 4, and he says, what should I do with these people? They want to stone me. Now, to you and I, stoning only happened in the 1960s, you know, if you were a part of a commune. But 
Stoning in the ancient Near East was actually a form of capital punishment. And actually, in some places around the world, it still is a form of capital punishment. So that is the verdict that is rendered after a capital crime is committed. This is, it's a lawsuit. There is a, there is a, a suit, a courtroom that is happening in these seven verses. Not only that, it then says that Moses, God tells Moses to grab his staff and grab the elders. The, the rod was a symbol of justice and the elders were the people that ruled and judged the people of Israel. So this is a courtroom, it's a quarrel. But the second thing that you see happening here is there is a presence. There is a patient presence. Last week, we had Ken and Josh talk to us about how God feeds us in the wilderness. He feeds us with bread. He provides for our needs. And in the wilderness, He forms and shapes us. In the wilderness, Christ forms us. And He forms the fruits of the Spirit of patience in us. But look, the people of Israel have lost their patience. Moses has lost his patience. Look at that in verse 4. He goes to God and he says, what should I do with these people? That's the language of someone losing his patience. Now, it's easy for us because we can compress the span of 40 years into hours or maybe even into a couple of minutes as we read all the chapters of the book of Exodus. Because we have a bird's eye view. But I want to show you how actually you and I are not so different from the people of Israel, both collectively and individually. How do I illustrate that to you? Collectively, I want you to, to think about, if you've read recent articles, I remember reading in the New York Times recently, there was this, an article that was saying, you know, where is God in the midst of all this pandemic? There's other numerous magazines you can read where that's a question that people ask. Where is God in all this? That's what the people of Israel are saying. Where is God in the midst of this wilderness? Collectively, it, it, we can be stuck in a problem, in a wilderness, and it looks very difficult to see God's hand in it all. So collectively, it's actually not difficult to see where the people of Israel are. But I don't seem to remember a lot of news articles in the mid-2000-teens, when political parties were a little bit less polarized, when the economy was doing all right and we hadn't had a recession, I don't remember seeing a single article in the New York Times saying, let us fall to our knees and thank our Creator for His daily sustenance and provision. So on a collective side, you can see how we lose that perspective. But on an individual, and this is how it might work in your life and mine, think of a friend who may say something to you, one negative thing, and that can far outweigh 10 positive things. It's, it's like if your spouse is getting ready to go out for dinner and says, does this look good on me? And then you go, hmm. And you, you that say, yes, it does. And that one, hmm, that couple second pause will not undo 10, you look gorgeous, you look amazing, no matter what you do. Collectively, it works that way. Individually, it works that way. The people of Israel have lost their patience with God. God brings them out of Egypt. He 
parts the Red Sea. They walk on dry land. They get to Mount Sinai. He gives them the law. He frees them from oppression and, and, and bondage. He gives them manna or bread from heaven every day. And here he's about to provide water for them. Day in, day out, they've been provided for. They've been cared for. But all it takes is one moment and you'll forget about everything else that God has been doing in your life. Just one moment. We're forgetful people. And that's why at this table, Jesus says, do this in remembrance because we're forgetful people. But you see, God is patient. He doesn't just have this bird's eye perspective of compressing 40 years into a few chapters or into a few hours. He has the whole span of time and space in his view, and he's patient. Moses has lost any sort of patience with the people of Israel, but there's a patient presence who day in, day out, has guided them with the cloud during the day, providing shade in the wilderness. And at night, he's a pillar of fire, giving them warmth and guidance and protection. And the people of Israel are doubting his power, his power to provide. Which brings us to the third part of this text. Verses 1 through 3 was the complaint. Verses 4 through 6 was the presence. And verses, verse 7 is the spring. The spring. What do I mean by this? Just next door in the chapter room, we have an undercroft where the kids do kids' church. And um, we actually have a spring there, believe it or not. Um, it may not be a gushing spring. It may not even be like De Leon Springs or Blue Springs. But it's a spring nonetheless that if we don't turn a dehumidifier on, we are going to have mold no matter what we do. It will always be humid. There will always be mold unless we deal with that. It's this inexhaustible fount that will never run dry. Yahweh is this inexhaustible fount. He's this inexhaustible resource in the middle of the wilderness. You see, this patient presence wants to provide for his parched people. What he's doing is he says, Moses, I want you to grab your rod and your staff. I want you to grab all the elders of Israel, and I want you to walk past the people. And you could just see the people of Israel be like, grab some popcorn. This is going to be great. Like, the rod, the elders, we know what happens. There's going to be a jury and a judge. We got the judge and the jury. This is going to be fun. Let's go see who, who spun this whole mob up, and Moses is going to have some fun. God tells Moses to do that. They walk past the people outside of the camp, and they walk into the wilderness. And the people who were doubting the power of God to provide are now brought face to the face with the fact that if you don't trust God's power to provide, you'll be left with powerlessness in the wilderness. So God tells Moses, walk to the rock of Horeb and I will stand before you. In the Old Testament, most of the time when you hear the word stand before someone, 
There's the idea of someone of an inferior social class standing in front of someone else, a subject standing before his king, a junior prophet standing before a senior prophet who is training him. But here is the one time where Yahweh doesn't say, stand before me, or even do what he says to Job, stand before me, gird up your loins and answer me. Where were you when I put this whole world into motion? Here Yahweh says, I will stand before you. I will stand on the rock of Horeb, and I want you to take that rod which struck the Nile and meant death for the Egyptians. As you strike the rock, it will mean life for the people of Israel. And who is on that rock? Yahweh. Paul does a little bit of what we call midrashic reinterpretation of this in 1 Corinthians 10, 4. And he says, we all have been given to drink from that spiritual fountain. And that rock followed them around the desert and follows us around every day of our life in the wilderness. And that rock was Christ. There's a spring. God says, I will stand before you. And what should be a blow of justice is now only a blow of grace for you and I. One of the top four Anglican hymns of, last, of, of the 1800s was written by a guy called Augustus Toplady. He was from the West Country, from near Bristol. And he writes this in a hymn. He says, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. You and I are hidden in the wounds of Christ. Jesus Christ is not an inexhaustible spring that leaves mold in a kid's, in a kid's um, church room. He's an inexhaustible source that will be with you forever. He will resource you forever. He will give you a, an abundant amount of patience that will let you deal with people who are problematic better than you ever could. Jesus, in the book of John, encounters a Samaritan woman at a well, and she's thirsty. And he says, I will give you rivers of living water. In about two weeks' time, the Jewish community around the world will celebrate the Feast of Booths. In John chapter 8, Jesus stands up on the last and great day of that Feast of Booths. And he says, is anyone thirsty? Let them come to me. And I will give you to drink. Jesus is that inexhaustible resource. And then at the end of the Gospel of John that inexhaustible well of water is parched and dried out and his tongue clings to his mouth like a dry potsherd, as the psalmist tells us. And he says, I thirst. The water of life is dried out and then he gives up his spirit. He gives us his spirit. And now you and I have an inexhaustible resource that flows out from our insides to everyone else, that we might bring waters of life, 
Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can bring transformation no matter where we go. So wherever we go, there is no longer a wilderness, but a flowing, wondrous wellspring. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have given us a wondrous wellspring of life. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit today, and that this week we would go out equipped to bring the water of life to those that don't have it. May we bring the wonder of your presence wherever we go. We, all, we ask this all in Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen.